Production. Recorded live. On January the 14th, 2018, from Coolidge, Arizona. Glad to see folks on board today and for the class that is here. We have a lot to cover. We're in the book of Acts. Just a little bit of pickup from verse uh, chapter 14 and verse 20. We want to reemphasize that Paul was a purpose-driven apostle, and he was earning, in verse 20, from where we've already been, of course, uh, he is earning the right to be listened to. People forget. It is God's message, but the carrier must earn the right to be listened to. Well, no tomatoes on that. And God's message will not be listened to just because it is God's message. Did you get that? Yeah. Ponder it. What I say about the book of Acts means absolutely nothing. Getting to what it says means everything. You cannot get to the meaning of anything without understanding what it is being what what is what is being said. You have to know what is said before you can understand the text. But what I say means nothing. We have to get to what the text says before it can mean anything. And last week, we introduced the subject prematurely of in in verse 23 about elders. Now I have a question to begin with there, and by the way, when we get into chapter 20, we will have more to say about elders than I'm going to say today. But one thing I'm going to say now is to ask the question, what does that word imply? And it implies a couple of things. First of all, as to what the word means, it means someone who is seasoned. In season and out of season. It is someone who is, the word presbyteros means to be seasoned. It means to be settled. Settled in. You're not bouncing around here and there. So he's talking here about men in particular, about men who are seasoned men. They've been through the mill. They've been tested. They come out scathed, but still going. Men who are settled. What does that mean? What does that imply? That they're steady. Steady. You can kind of count on them. They don't go from, you know, high, low, all over the map. If they're mad, they're always mad. You know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if they're not, they're not. Yeah. Um, consistent. Yeah. Consistent. Our typical words are simply erroneous that we use for looking at the eldership, whether it's the Church of Christ, Christian churches, Churches of Christ, musical whatever, 
most of our information is biased. We've got to get through the bias and get back to what is written. That's why I began today with the most important thing I've said all day. I always say it first, that what we say about something means nothing at all, but it's what the text says that we get to the meaning of that text. And that's what has to be our aim. We get to thinking that because we've said it, it has some value. It has no value at all unless it's in complete agreement with what is said. And we have to get to what is said. Getting to what something says means everything. So the word elder simply means then that these men, regardless of age, are seasoned men, settled in the affairs of their life. And together, as a team, with the other members of the congregation, including the evangelist, because they have no authority over the evangelist, nor does the evangelist have any authority over them. It's not an issue of authority. As soon as you hear anybody say authority, write them off. It's not authority. Everything that has authority in the church is delegated, right? If I work for the city and I have the job of doing a plan review on some building, I have no authority my position for 15 years was to go to the authority. And that authority is the code book and the engineering design. That's, that's the authority, not me. And when I go into the field and inspect a job, I have no authority. Everything that I have has been given to me. That's not authority. That's delegated authority, but I have no authority in myself. If ever body worked for the city understood that. It'd be nicer to get along with. But the same is true in the church. You have no authority. What you have is delegated, and it's delegated to you for a purpose to allow you to function in certain areas. But they function here. This word means that they, it is included in this word, they function as a team, a team of equals. There is no one over anything except through delegation, and they're delegated to be able to do that to enable them to carry out a mission and a purpose. See the difference between authority and responsibility in that case. Quite a bit. Authority means that is coming that you have an authority over somebody else because of your position. That's not true. But a responsibility, you have to carry out a response. Responsibilities are something that have to be carried out. And agreed to. And agreed to. And agreed to. That would be like, you know, my, me, my dad letting me drive his truck. It's his property. It's, he's got the final say, but if I'm driving it, I better not wreck it. Well, I have the responsibility to keep it Even intact. if you do, it's your responsibility. And it's, it's my responsibility yeah. to have it fixed. You have no authority to drive it on your own. Exactly. So you have to, you have to be granted that privilege. Well, it's a hard thing. Our churches are so screwed up in that area. Mm-hmm. I think people are in general that way. Everybody's trying to get the leg up on somebody else. Yeah, and that's not the game. 
That's the wrong game. The wrong game. Let's look at a couple of verses. I had not planned to go here, Alex. I'm sorry. Um, let's go to Hebrews 13, verse 17. I'm running out of things to use for bookmarks here, Dave. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) You just just need more stuff. Hebrews 13, I think it's verse 17. And notice what it says. Obey your leaders and submit. Why? Now, that rest of that sentence is not there. The to them is not there. And submit. That's the end of that phrase. For they, for what is their purpose? Keep watch over your soul. So he's talking about obeying your leaders and submitting to leaders in the, in the realm in which they have a responsibility in keeping your soul intact to the gospel. And that they have to give an account as to where you spend your eternity if they haven't done their job. So he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. You should understand that. It's not obey the leaders at all the way that I hear preached, and it's just absolutely Calvinistic to the core, you do not obey your leader as to what you're going to have for breakfast. You do not obey your leaders as to regards to what kind of a car you drive or where you live, what kind of clothes you wear, what your job, job occupation is, So obviously now there has to be some practical application to that word. He's talking about in the area of which they have been given a responsibility. And I have never yet found any church that understood that, sadly. And it says to submit, that should be no problem. If we are submitted to Christ, it should be no problem issue at all to submit to those who are carrying out Christ's purpose for the church. If you have a if you have a problem with that, you have a problem with Christ. So it's a very narrow field that he's talking about. And we only submit to them in the area over which they have been delegated a responsibility. And most of them don't have a clue. They think it's in control in most of these churches. And they have meetings on how to control, how to do this and that. But how often do you really have a meeting of your, elder, uh, of your leaders? Because leaders, there's a broad term. Anyone who is in a leadership position who has then the purpose delegated to us in this verse as one who watches over your soul, who has to give an account for your eternal salvation or damnation. See, that's the limitation. That's the boundaries. 
Now, folks, that's their responsibility as a leader in the church, no matter whether it's an elder or a deacon or just a church member who has assumed some role of leadership. Sunday school class, anything else. So we are always under that role, rule that we only have we only have what has been delegated to us, and what has been delegated to us is always boundaried by the objective. And that objective is plainly stated in this verse, and it cannot go outside of that. Now, let's go to 1 Peter 1, 2. 1 Peter 1, 2. This isn't exactly, this is a bunny trail, but this is not exactly where I had planned to go today. First Peter 1, 2. First Peter 1, 2. Oh, okay, that, that's okay. Okay, now, no, now notice here, and, and this is just kind of supporting where I was before. Uh, that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to do what? To obey Jesus. Now, if we are carrying out Jesus' command and Jesus' authority, that was given to him by whom? He had no authority within himself. All that he had was delegated to him. And if he's true to what has been delegated to him, he never delegated to me that I could wear black or red or pink. Never delegated that. Whether I could wear shoes or boots, he didn't delegate that to Jesus. So Jesus didn't delegate it to me. I'm limited in that authority. I want to hear more about the limitations of authority than what people are projecting. Here, we are to obey Jesus. If we are to obey Jesus, and then we are to obey our leaders who are in harmony with Jesus, what's the problem? None. They operate and they function as a team of equals. And I want to say that the test of maturity, the test of adult maturity, or the maturity of a child, is premised on how they respond to delegated authority. People live in a state of rebellion, and you know what First Peter, First uh, First uh, Samuel fifteen twenty two says that this that rebellion is as the spirit of witchcraft. You'll get to where you can believe anything if you are in a state of rebellion. You're not going to obey Jesus Christ. Have you ever done anything directly because Jesus said to do it or the apostles said to do it because he delegated his authority to them? Have you ever done anything because they have demanded it by their authority for your good, eternal well-being? Ever really directly said, boy, that's what it says I must do. Therefore, I do it. If we resist, you got it. I was right. I'm lucky on that one. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, 
and insubordination. Here you have set up, clear back under Samuel, the key of what is going on here in the book of Acts. Insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Oh, man, I don't do anything wrong. I treat my fellow neighbor just as I am, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be in subordination to anybody. Well, I guess that's an easier way to hell. We are all subject to somebody. Everybody is, whether it's the president. doesn't make any difference. No matter what your job is, you always are under somebody else. And if you resist that, you're always going to be looking for a new job. When Were these strangers that Peter was writing to scattered strangers? There's, was it a mix of Jew and Gentile? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So that's, that's relevant in, in as much as we could take these verses and apply them to ourselves. Because there's obviously there's a lot of things that we're doing right now in this service today that Peter strongly suggested or ordained. Right? Or like the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Until his coming and he came. So therefore what? Well. That's a different issue. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, agreed. But he did tell that to the early churches. And As Paul did to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Right. I think right. I mean Paul. The more. But right. that's, we, we understood the point. So. My point here is that I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm just not going to subject myself to elders or anybody else in the church. I'm not going to be submissive to anybody. Well, that's rebellion. That's the spirit of rebellion. But you see, we forget. What we are doing is denying that God has delegated to them a responsibility and given them the authority, delegated that authority to them to carry out that responsibility. Well, I'm not going to have anybody controlling my life. Well, you see, you already forgot what we already read back in Hebrews 13, 17. He gave them the boundaries. And within that boundary, you had better heed. Or you're just wasting your time. And your destiny is no better than a drunk. I'm hoping to get somebody mad. Okay, so the, the, and so another thing that the elders supply is order. 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 Elders, elders in every church implies that there is to be an orderly process in the church. Not everyone acting autonomously, but in agreement with the flow of authority. Granted, it's delegated, but if it is in keeping with Hebrews 13, we all need to be in the flow of that authority. That's what designs, that's the design for peace. You can see it, I'm sure. Now, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the, the order of the, of the elder 
why but primarily that he he was a, he was instilling order in every church that is that was to put a quietness in the disposition of the church the standard for peace was that there was a flow of delegated authority authority that permeated all of the members of that particular congregation. Every church was to have order. And then in that same, in that same, um, well, in the verse prior to that, in verse 22, through much tribulation they were going to enter into the kingdom of God. And then in verse 23, it's talked about every church. So it talks about the kingdom in verse 22 and the church in verse 23. And in Matthew, 20, Matthew 16, kingdom and church are used synonymously as well. I want to define the difference today, that, um, did we, did we go to 1 Peter 1? No. Um, Peter one I want to go to, I, I want to go to 2 Peter now, 2 Peter one eleven. Now let me change the thought just a little bit, but this should all be in agreement. God has always God has always been God infinitely. There is no Bible word for eternal. Why? Because we could have no comprehension of it. So you say you find eternal, but it, eternal, everlasting, age, forever, all come from the same word, no exceptions, it all comes from the word boundaried. It's what goes on between two points. There is no such word in the Greek for eternal. The best we can come up with is infinity, but the reason why, in my mind, that God has no Greek word for eternal is because we have no we would not have a clue as to what it meant. We cannot imagine the sky having an end or not having an end. Somewhere there's a brick wall out there. It is not comprehensible for man to grasp the idea of infinity. We are finite beings. So there is nothing in the Bible that we cannot grasp. God has not used words in the Bible that we cannot grasp. And so when you read the word forever or everlasting or eternal, you know there's something amiss in the translation. Now, you always knew that, didn't you? I thought forever was from point A to point B. Exactly. And all of those words mean the same. They all came from the Greek word ionos, which means yeah. what goes on between two points no matter how far apart they are. You're right. Yeah. Okay, now let's go, to, let's go to this. Let's go to this. So... This is, the, this is the word, one verse, that people have the word eternal in. And if he's going to look that up in, the, in our linear for us here in a moment. But notice, first of all, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of, of our Lord Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. 
It's the entrance that will be abundantly supplied. But into what? But of whom? You see, that part is always missed. The eternal kingdom is not God's kingdom. It is not eternal. Why? Because it has no beginning and no ending. He's talking about here about a kingdom that has a beginning and an ending. That's why the word eternal is used. Look at the word everlasting. It's better than eternal. There was a... Now, folks, whoops, where did we go here? Oh, right here. Right here. Here's the word eternal. What does that word mean? It means age. It means, and they specified it here, the messianic period. They got it right. Not all of it, or not all of what they say there is right, but it is properly, properly an age. Folks, this is Baptist material that they all have access to, but they take that word here that is defined by their own theologians, and they misapply it. He's talking about here a kingdom that is eternal. And what kingdom is it? What kingdom had a beginning and an ending? The Lord's kingdom. The Lord's kingdom. Jesus, this is talking about not the eternal, in our phrase, the infinitive kingdom, infinite kingdom of the Father and God, Jehovah, because it had no beginning and no end. We have been given through the keys of Peter the what to the kingdom. The entrance. Isn't that what keys do? It opens up the way into what has always existed. But this kingdom is one that had a beginning. It has is talking about the kingdom that belongs to the Lord that was given to him beginning on Pentecost and ended up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he turned it back over to the Father so that God could be all in all. Verse 26 or 27, 1 Corinthians 15. Do you see that? This is not talking about God's kingdom as being infinite. It's talking about Christ's kingdom that had a beginning and that had an ending. He was not made king until his resurrection. And he was given that office of king only until the end of Israel because he was king of the Jews. Jews. You see that? Now, the church, when Jesus said, I will build my church, I'll give unto Peter the keys of the kingdom, he's using the term somewhat limitedly, synonymously, and as an equivalent to each other in certain ways. I will build my church. Why? Because the church is the access route or route 
and replica to the kingdom. Now, here are some important things, some important issues of what that means. When he appointed elders in every church, he is talking about the church, the ecclesia. Folks, we have got to hang on to that ecclesia. That's the group of believers that God has added to those who are baptized in Acts 2.47. This kingdom here in Second Peter, this this is the church. Well, the the yes. the king no no okay. the the uh, the kingdom is the umbrella. The churches are geographic. Okay, but the, this this it's the same thing. This this eternal kingdom that we know is as an as a, what which kingdom is this? I'm, this is the this is the kingdom when that Christ was appointed to and okay. over until such a time as the judgment of Israel and the fall of Jerusalem okay. for that 40-year period. Okay. All right. Got it so far? We'll have to work on that. You may have to think about okay. it. If you think of another question, why, be sure to ask. It also drops into the time frame of this writing. It drops into the time frame of this writing because we're in the process. He is king now. But remember... When the presence comes in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he turns his kingdom over and back to the Father, to a kingdom that is infinite, not of age, not of a of not finite, limited by the word eternal, as what goes on between two points. We're trying to define those two points as well. So if his kingdom didn't end at his crucifixion, it ended after the at the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. That's when it ended. Yeah, because, well, uh, 74 A.D. is when it ended um, completely. Because between 70 and 74 was cleaning up the residue of Judaism for four years after the fact. That's why we have two different dates in Daniel. <clears throat> so it's completed, and 1 Corinthians 15 then talks about him when that's completed at the presence or the parousia he's going to turn it back over to the father so see his kingdom was eternal because it had a beginning and it had an ending it was eternal for the duration of why he was made king we forget that that's why in revelation chapter 4 when the angel came down representing jesus he said don't no 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 you focus your attention in worshiping who god not Christ. So all the Jesus people today have lost their salvation as soon as they do that. Because that's not the issue today. To do that, we have to deny everything the Bible teaches about his kingdom being temporal, not eternal. An age. And he was made king over the nation to whom he came, and that nation was the nation of Israel. So what happens when the nation of Israel is judged and death and Hades are destroyed, then what happens to that kingdom? There's no, there's no nation of Israel, so his kingdom ended. And it says, I will turn that over to the Father. That's 1 Corinthians 15 again. Now, so the Father's kingdom is timeless. The Father's kingdom is timeless. That's why in the Old Testament, 
when the people of Israel said, we want a king like the other nations, and he said, hey, no way, I'm king. And always have been. I've always been king, will always be king. I'm king over the host. See? Now, so what we have in the New Testament are the ways of entering into that kingdom. That's the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is how do we become a part of that kingdom without end and without, without beginning and without end. The infinite kingdom. We can be a part of that. Now, am I getting some things confused or clear? No. Uh, and you may have to sort it out. Now, there are some important things. There's a lot of baggage there, David. Oh, we need to devise a new word for eternal that's more descriptive of the actual I, I think that don't designation. Have, how can you do better than finite? I mean, that's what it Infinite. is. Well, Infinite. for an for this this as oh, Iona, the finite. That's, finite. That, oh, that's right. I mean, well, that's beginning and end. There, there's that there, would be a much better word because everyone thinks eternal means. Infinite, no yeah. beginning, no end. You, you just can't go there. Or forever, yeah. everlasting. we, we got to get See, out of In that. our vocabulary, it can mean that, but remember, there is no Greek word for eternal. Yeah, so. Infinite. That's there, right. that's, why? I said it earlier. Because so it's God knew, realizes we are finite. How can he discuss to finite beings what is infinite? He yeah. can't do that. Can't There's no comprehension. Yeah. You know, David, it's like if a doctor tells you don't eat sugar, so curse him. Yeah, so you but so what you eat says sugarless on it. That's why I like the word timeless, because time doesn't apply to that. No, and I like that. I even liked it better than you know you know infinite. Uh, okay. Infinite. 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 I I even like it better than that. It's timeless. No time. Time doesn't apply. Time isn't involved. Time isn't a part of the composition. And that's, you know, I, I can buy that 100%. That's right. Timelessness, but you and I can't comprehend it. Because we're, we're put in time. We are. Our, yeah. whole, our whole creation is based on time. Genesis chapter 1, we see time defined and brought in and even explained what it's for. Genesis 1. It's there. There's no implication that there was any time before that that was established. We that's the creation of time. Mm-hmm. But David, you're right. That's even less of an issue than someone who doesn't understand which kingdom we're talking about here. That's right. That and is, it's is as important as that is. It's not as important as that. It's not as important as what Peter's talking about. And it's obvious. He mentions it. It's not the kingdom of the Father. It's not, the, it's not God's kingdom here. It is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that is so obvious. But you and I were in a, a yeah. session, a class this week, where this is discussed as if it were God's kingdom. Well, how do you argue? Okay, let me finish up. I got, I got a long ways to go here. Now, there, here are some important issues of what this all means of where we've been. When in chapter 20 of uh, the book of Revelation, Hades goes down. Now, didn't Jesus say the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? In, a, in chapter 20 of Revelation, I don't know what verse, but I'm, I'm, um, I think I can find it real here. 
Yeah, and then in verse 14, then death and Hades, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. See, the church still stands. Now I want you to sit down because I don't want you to fall over, pass out, and fall over with where we're going in a few moments. Hades went down, but the church still stands. Because Jesus said, the church will outlast, and it did. The lake of fire, the second death, in verse 14 of Revelation 20. And we've discussed that earlier. But I want you to go now. And we're going to get kind of serious. Acts 20, 28. I've got to go fast because I've got to complete this. It just can't go undone. I like, your, I like all of the input. I think you're getting the idea. We have a lot of baggage to overcome. And I don't play in generalities. Well, sometimes I do, but generally I try to be specific. So that you know whether or not you can agree with me or not isn't the issue but so that you at least will, you will know. Try to be emphatic on that. So look at Acts 20, 28. Well, then I want to ask you a question. Acts 20, 28. That, that's okay. I need a breath anyway. I was running out of air. I've been, I've been running out of breath I took yesterday. All right. Now, notice he's saying this to the elders. We don't need to go over that right now. He gives them a mission. They're to deal with the whole purpose of God. And then he says, you be on guard for yourselves. All of the trouble of church history has come out of the eldership. All you got to do is look at history. Nice to have somebody to blame. Huh? Nice to have somebody to blame. Yeah. So he's warning them right up front, you be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. He's speaking to elders. Precious. It's an ordained function. But because it's an ordained function, a lot of times people assume that has an authority attached to it, and the authority always destroys the office. When it's not delegated, with a specific function in mind. We discussed that back in wherever it was in Peter. All right. Be on guard for your... See, once I say something, it's gone. I can't, don't remember it. Be on, on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the elder, uh, among whom the Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now, that's the part I need. I mean, there's a lot of discussion points here. And it's all easy if you get to the original language. But what we're after here, their function was to shepherd. Shepherd. Keep the sheep in the grass. In the what? Grass. G-R-A-S-S. Keep the sheep where there's food. That's a pretty simple objective. Why would you rebel at being kept in the, in the grass? you're a sheep. Why would you rebel against being kept where the food is? And the purchasers 
shows the shows the authority in this case. He has shown the and what he has done is he has placed the value upon the church by shedding what? He purchased it with his blood. He did not see you on the cross. He saw the church. He saw the church. He purchased the church with his blood. He did not purchase the kingdom. The kingdom is not purchased with the blood of Christ. That's why we have then, the, the, the church is the entry into the kingdom, but you can't enter the kingdom without going through what Christ died for, and that's the church. He purchased the church with his blood. He did not purchase a kingdom with his blood. You see the distinction? So why would folks want to get rid of the church because we are a part of a kingdom when the kingdom is not blood-bought? How are you going to get there? Let alone a kingdom that's not here anymore. Christ's kingdom isn't, but the... Yes, Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom has come and gone. It fulfilled his purpose. But to come into the kingdom that is infinite or timeless, how are we going to get there without going through what it is that Jesus came to purchase his blood for, which transcends. That, that kingdom has always been, and there's never been a way in. There's never been a way in. There's no statute of limitations on ownership. No. Good. Doesn't, doesn't it say in Revelation that the door remains open? The door remains open. So the entrance has to still be there. The entrance still has in Revelation chapter 21, that's chapter, right. chapter 22. And that's the new Jerusalem, that's that, God's kingdom. That's the one that came down on the foundation, and the foundation is still there. Now we have the church. Now, the body of Christ, the body of Christ is the church. I was going to read passages, but folks were getting out of time. I, I got to finish the thought here. <laughs> this is a, a bunny trail. So the, the body of Christ is the church. That's Ephesians 1, 21, uh, uh, Ephesians 1, 22, and 23. The, the church which is the, uh, the, the body of Christ which is the church. Now, when you, since the church is the body of Christ, is the church then representative of the corpse of Christ? Is it that we are a part of his body because it represents the corpse? The dead body? No. It's because it represents, it is the church, is the body of Christ. Sit down. It is the body of Christ resurrected. That's why it is so important to pervert the church because the church as the body of Christ is the representation of the, res of the resurrection of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, when, when the Lord 
adds those who were baptized to the group, Acts 2.47, he was adding those baptized ones to the resurrected body. That's the assembly. When you are properly immersed in water, into Christ, the Lord adds you to the body of the resurrection, of the resurrected ones, the assembly. To reject, and I conclude, maybe, to reject the church is to reject the resurrection. Why? Because the church represents the resurrection body. And if you reject the church, you have rejected the resurrection of Christ. And all, almost all folks of the preterist movement have rejected the church. And that's what's motivated me to this point this morning. They reject the resurrection of Christ? They reject the resurrection of Christ because they reject the church. So as being the ecclesia. As being the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the representation of the resurrection. When Lord adds you, he does not add you to a corpse, the body of Christ. He adds you to that corpse resurrected. Because we've been, if he, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, we have been risen with Christ. And, become, and become a part of the resurrected ones. That's why I'm saying that if we reject the church, we reject the resurrection. Now, the and church the, has... And the life. And the life, that's a part of it. Jesus said, if you believe in me, in me, positioned in me, he didn't have yet the process of the gospel because it hasn't been established then you will never die. So if your belief has brought you into Christ, if you are in Christ, God has put you in the resurrected body, which is the church. That's how we ought to place our value upon the church. We ought to be asking people, do you want to become a part of that body that represents the resurrection, that represents life? for which there is no death, in which there is no death. It has the tree of life in it. So the church has order. That order is designed by God. It is installed by man, the eldership, deacons, whatever, or any level of leadership in the church, and is always in keeping with human capability. God has a design. He allows that design to be installed by fallible man. He allows it to be maintained by fallible man, but they are always to keep it in line with God's purpose for that function. The church has order because it's representing the resurrected body. And how mature you are is measured by how you respond to that authority. Those uh, in authority, forget their purpose. 
and those under that authority rebel. Both are equally wrong. We need to bring our lives into harmony with that authority that has been delegated by God to those who establish the order of a congregation. And folks, we have to be a part of that established body of the resurrection in order to be a participant in the infinite kingdom, timeless kingdom. Amen. I'm done. Sure glad you have to preach. (laughs) I may need a review of all this next week. Oh. (laughs) Well, this is a response to what David and I are being faced with on a regular basis now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Alex. Father, it is so difficult for us to recognize what our function and purpose is But that's what we are committed to discovering and to maintain and to express to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.